The Vote 2018 podcast is brought to you by First Amendment Media, creators of the Vote 2018 podcast and deep reporting with Rex Carlin. Head on over to firstamendmentmedia.com to check out all the past episodes of both shows and to sign up for the Morning Rex, our email newsletter that launches March 26th. We're really excited about the Morning Rex, so sign up. It's totally free and will be the most content-diverse newsletter you'll ever sign up for. That's the Morning Rex newsletter on firstamendmentmedia.com. And you can follow us on Twitter at the handles at 1-S-T-A-M-E-N-D media. That's at First Amend Media and at Rex Carlin. That's at R-E-X-C-A-R-L-I-N for links to all the latest podcast episodes and more. Today I'm joined by Patrick Marley of the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel about Wisconsin's upcoming race for governor between Republican incumbent Scott Walker, who made a run for president in 2016 and is notable for being the first governor in American history to win a recall election, and more than a dozen Democratic challengers from all over the state who are competing in a hotly contested primary for the Democratic spot on the ballot. Let's get started. Let's first talk about incumbent Wisconsin Governor Scott Walker, Republican, and he's a name that people outside of Wisconsin have probably heard of between a, cu- a couple of things that have happened while he's been governor. He's had a, a little presidential run. Can you tell us a little bit about Governor Walker, what the people of Wisconsin think about him, uh, how he's viewed, and what his outlook is going into this next race? Yeah, uh, I'd say Walker is known more than your average Wisconsin governor, and that's because he came in in 2010 uh, in the Tea Party wave. Uh, he was uh, part of the election that swept government here from being complete Democratic control to complete Republican control. And then after a very short period of time of being elected, he introduced what became known as Act 10, which rolled back collective bargaining for public workers uh, and that was met with a very fierce resistance. There were these massive protests, the biggest in Madison since the Vietnam era. Days on end, the Capitol was, um, you know, occupied by protesters, people out on the streets, you know, in February of Wisconsin when it can be pretty cold. Um, and they ended up launching, they were not able to prevent this legislation from passing. They went on to try to recall a number of state senators and the governor, um, which they for the governor, they couldn't do that for a year, so it was 2012 that he faced a recall election. Huge um, spending in the race. Uh, the state became even more polarized than you know politics already is. And uh, he, he won the, re-ele- or the recall election, which made him the first governor in the nation's history to survive a recall election. And all of that sort of put him on the map as this conservative hero, helped spur his run for president, which um, we might not remember, or people outside of Wisconsin might not remember, but for a short period of time, it went really well for Walker. Uh, He was kind of riding high, and then uh, he was the first of many to get caught in the Trump buzzsaw and was uh, really the first candidate out of the presidential run. Uh, In Wisconsin, he governed as a conservative, you know, implemented voter ID, uh, implemented concealed carry. We were one of the last states to have that. Um, a lot of tax cuts, uh, a lot of regulatory rollbacks, a lot of uh, tort reform. Um, these things have made him extremely popular with Republicans. Uh, and what's interesting this time, he, uh, 
won re-election in 2014. He's seeking a third term. Um, what's interesting right now is that he has really moderated in his presentation on a number of issues uh, lately, talking about putting more money into schools. Uh, says he's going to roll out soon a school safety plan as the nation wrestles with um, gun violence. Um, he's actually uh, recently signed legislation that puts uh, hundreds of millions of dollars into a reinsurance program under uh, to help shore up Obamacare, which is something in the past that he's fought anything having to do with Obamacare in every way. Um, so it's a little bit, we're getting a, a little bit different of a governing philosophy from the governor of late. Now, why is that? Is that, let's jump back first to uh, President Trump getting elected in 2016. What, what has been the people of Wisconsin's overall reaction to his first year in office? And is that sort of molding Governor Walker in one way or another to change some of his views or alter some of his views on some of these stances, or is that completely separate from what's going on nationally? Well, I mean, uh, all Republicans sort of have to treat Trump like a, a, a high-wire act, and Walker, I would say, is as good as anybody at, at walking that uh, tight rope. Um, you know, Wisconsin is, uh, in presidential elections, historically has been a blue state went for Democrats, uh, the last time I voted for a Republican was Reagan's re-election. You know, every election after that, it, it went blue. And then Trump surprised everybody in Wisconsin, surprised a lot of people around the country, won Wisconsin uh, narrowly, uh, just like he won, you know, other uh, blue-collar states like, like Pennsylvania or Michigan. Um, and so Wisconsin was really instrumental in getting Trump to the White House, and um, a lot of people didn't see it coming. So... Uh, Walker, in many ways, has embraced Trump. You know, he, he was late to support him. He supported Ted Cruz in the primary in Wisconsin. We have a pretty late primary. Uh, but once he showed up the um, nomination, Walker was out there campaigning for him. He said he's still a supporter, but also tries to break from him um, on key issues. Tariffs being probably the most prominent, latest example uh the governor's been out there saying he thinks Trump is wrong on this, that it's going to hurt Wisconsin jobs, uh, send some, some send jobs to Canada, um, and hurt Wisconsin companies. So he's willing to come out against the president on key things. Uh, you know, anything with foreign policy, the governor sort of shies away from talking about, uh, and like many Republicans, dodges sort of uh, responding the tweet of the day that the president may have, uh, and you know, trying to not directly attack the president on certain issues. Now, um, but to, go ahead. Oh no, I was I was going to follow up with you know what, what has been the reaction of of has there been any polling out there? What are, are supporters of or, or people who voted for President Trump at the doubling down on the support? Are some people falling off that? And I guess the, the answer to that question might also answer whether or not that's going to have a significant impact on one way or another on this election. Right. So I think that, you know, you're seeing a uh, reaction to Trump be like uh, you've seen nationally with uh, um, he's got a, a core set of supporters 
you got some people who maybe reluctantly voted for him and are a little uncertain of uh, some of the things he does and, and his approach these days. Uh, the concern for Republicans in Wisconsin and probably a number of other states is that those, those, um, the blue collar rural white voters who went from Democrat to Trump or went from not being voters to Trump, are they going to be there to help, uh, Republican candidates this time when Trump's not on the ballot? And are Republicans in suburban areas who are maybe skeptical of Trump, are they going to have uh, depressed enthusiasm uh, be as, be not as likely to come out to vote for Republicans as they have in the past to stay home? And, uh, you know, so I think what Walker's worried about is the general environment appears to be uh, better for Democrats than Republicans nationally at this moment. We don't know what it'll be like in the fall, but at, at the moment it looks... Uh, challenging for Republicans. The governor, uh, we had a special election here for a state um, Senate seat that uh, he appointed the sitting Republican senator to be his agriculture secretary. And then there was a special election. The seat has long been Republican, pretty good numbers uh, in it. Republicans spent heavily, had a ton of volunteers and paid workers out there, and Democrats quietly uh, took that seat away from them. Uh, Walker, the second the results were out, started tweeting that this was a wake-up call. That was the phrase he used over and over uh, for the next two weeks, and said, "You know, we gotta, we gotta let people know about the things we've done. We've got to talk about the tax reform we've done. Uh, we've done good things for voters in his mind. Uh, they just don't know about it, and we've got to sort of fight through the the noise to get our message out there. And we got to work harder than we ever have to." keep a hold on state government. Let's jump across the aisle. Who are these Democratic challengers? Who acts, who, who actually has a chance? I know this is a, a decently long list, but it looks like three or four have almost all of the endorsements, and it looks like there's one candidate maybe ahead of the pack in polling. Could you tell us a little bit about what's going on on the Democratic side? Yeah, if only it were so easy. If only it were a field of three or four. Um, the... the Reality is there's, there's more than a dozen people, maybe 15 or 16, who are running for governor. There, you know, a few of them are sort of, uh, you know, no-name people who have gotten in the race. But there's really nine candidates that have some kind of standing, a legitimate claim to be considered a viable candidate. And none of them are terribly well-known at this point, um, you know, outside of uh, being known by political junkies. And so it's really kind of a phenomenal situation. By that, I don't mean good or bad. I just mean an unusual situation uh, where you've got this large number of people in the field and no clear signs that it's going to be thinned at all before we have our primary in August. So Tony Evers is... There was a poll recently last week, Marquette University Law School uh, did some polling, and what we found out mostly is that the vast majority of voters don't know who these people are. You know, they get... Uh, two-thirds, and uh, more than two-thirds, they get 70, 80 percent saying they don't know enough about the candidates to have an opinion of them. So they're, they're, they, none of them are polling particularly well. But uh, Tony Evers is our statewide school superintendent. Uh, he, he's got the best numbers at 20 percent favorability. Um, you know, he's been, uh, he just won re-election a year ago, uh, so he 
his name had been in the news quite a bit leading into that. He, his fundraising was mostly depleted from that race, but he was able to build it back up pretty quickly. Um, the next best in that uh, in that polling was Paul Foglin, who's the longtime on and off mayor of Madison. He's currently the mayor. I think this is his fourth go round being mayor. He's you know since the seventies he will do a stint, leave office, come back, run again, uh, get reinstated, and so he's um, he's at fifteen percent. You know that. He's pretty well known. I mean, obviously, uh, in Madison, he's well known because he's the current and, and longtime mayor. And Milwaukee is sort of uh, ground zero for getting Democratic votes in Wisconsin, Madison, and Milwaukee. Um, uh, third on the list, uh, I think also 15 percent might have been just a point or two below. So I uh, though was uh, was Matt Swing, who is uh, a lawyer from Milwaukee, long time involved in state politics. Who's Chairman of the state party in the 1980s, um, he's uh, run for office four or five times uh, and, and been unsuccessful. So he's making another run here um, with hopes to have some different outcomes. Um, Catherine Beinhout, state senator, she pulled just below them at 13 uh, percent. She's from rural western Wisconsin. Um, yeah, that district that she has is not uh, easy to hold for Democrats, but she's been able to hang on to it. Uh, she ran uh, for governor in that recall election from 2012 uh, in a four-way primary. I think she finished third or fourth in that primary, so she didn't do great there, but she's sort of been, uh, for the years since then, viewed by some as um, sort of progressive icon or progressive willing to stand up to Walker and has a very vocal, like, her base of support might not be huge, but they're, they're very vocally behind her. It's, it's also, some of her critics uh, question how uh, progressive she is. She's um, had some votes and stances on abortion that some progressives didn't like, and some of her critics are questioning why she's viewed as progressive as she is. Um, behind her is Mike McCabe at 9%. He was the longtime director of a group called the Wisconsin Democracy Campaign, which tracked campaign spending in Wisconsin and fought for um, more disclosure requirements and public funding of campaigns, sort of an anti-dark money group. Um, and so he is fairly well-known in progressive circles for that. Uh, but again, statewide, you know, none of these people are, are well-known. Um, right after him, we've got Malin Mitchell, who is the head of the statewide firefighters union. He's been getting a lot of union backing, um, done some pretty decent fundraising because of that union support. Uh, and we've got Dana Walks right in there at 7% as well. He is a state representative and lawyer from western Wisconsin. Uh, he's been putting some of his own money in. Uh, as I mentioned, he's an attorney. So he's got he's got some cash. Uh, that has helped him uh, bolster things a bit. Behind him is Andy Gronick, who is, uh, I believe, the first candidate to get in the race, a Milwaukee businessman who's uh, self-funding quite a bit so far. And had been viewed, I think he viewed himself as, you know, when he got in, as having a much smaller field than, than he does have. 
and uh, you know he's really fighting for attention. And then I'd say the last on our list of uh, the most viable candidates is Kelda Royce, who's this former state representative from the Madison area, who uh, uh, left office to run for Congress, lost in the primary. Uh, she's a four percent. She got a ton of national attention in this past week because she launched her first campaign video on her website, uh, in which she talked about her effort to uh, to ban BPA in Wisconsin. When BPA is a chemical used in baby bottles or had been used in baby bottles, it was found to be toxic. And during the video, she breastfeeds her four-month-old daughter. Uh, this got uh, you know, we wrote about it, others wrote about it, and then once it got out in the Twitter sphere, it just took off, and she's been written up by, you know, people, and lots of, uh, you know, CNN, lots of other uh, national news organizations, and it's just uh, helped, helped her break out uh, of the pack a little bit, at least for a news cycle, and that seems to be continuing. I saw Silver, uh, what's her name, Sarah Silverman just... Uh, tweeting out an endorsement for her in the last day or so. Um, so, you know, it's like she's able to get noticed that, uh, that others haven't been in this race. It makes me think, like, you know, we, we hear this long list of people that have 4% or higher in polling, which is I, decently significant. What is the problem here? Is there lack of fundraising dollars? Why does nobody seemingly nobody know these candidates why is nobody sticking out from the pack or buying ad space or like what what is the problem on the democratic side right now well so i mean that's that's what the republicans say this just shows the democrats are in disarray they can't get their act together the democrats spin it as this shows all this enthusiasm on their side and that's why they've got this huge path um I, i think the issue is that like no one or two candidates have gotten into the race that are of such stature that they start clearing the field. Uh, you've got, and, and it's almost like the more that get in, the more people who are considering it who say, like, well, I could beat any of those people. I could, you know, I could, I could pull off. And, and as, as the field remains large, you need a smaller vote share to win the election. So, you know, we could have somebody coming out of the primary with only getting you know, 20, 25, 30% of the vote. Um, now, of course, the, thing, the dynamic could change quite a bit between now and then, and you have a, a clear front runner. But, you know, we, it's not like we have a state senator or even a member of Congress who's getting into this race, who's well-known and got a ton of cash uh, that makes others start dropping out. So there's just not the usual forces of politics here that's making somebody get out of the way. Everything I've seen as far as predictions and stuff looks like um, this race might lean toward Walker, lean Republican. What does a Democrat have to do to win Wisconsin in this race? Well, they've got to, uh, for one thing, get uh, voters who don't show up at the polls typically in governor's races to show up at the polls. You know, that's that's been a long-time conundrum for Democrats in the state, is that typically they can get all their voters to come out for presidential elections, and then those voters, many of those voters, stay home for all the other elections that the state holds. Now, obviously, that's not true. In 2016, Trump won. Uh, 
but in general, Democrats and Wisconsin do better when there's higher turnout. So they've got to find issues uh, that get voters, the sort of casual voter, engaged enough to come to the polls. And I think part of the reason you're seeing so many Democrats in the race here is they think the climate in 2018 is that kind of climate that uh, Trump has so infuriated the base and caused question marks among uh, more, you know, less frequent voters that they'll come out and, and support Democrats. What local issues might sway the undecided voter, whether it be... I guess in the Democratic primary where the names aren't exactly super familiar to people or when it comes down to the general election, somebody who might not know whether they're going to vote for Scott Walker or whoever the Democratic challenger is. What are some of these local issues in Wisconsin that are important to people that they might be waiting to see what these candidates have to say about it? Yeah, I mean, I think that that's not entirely known at this point. You know, we've got to see what the... Um, the tax break at the federal level, uh, you know, how that plays out here. It seems to have been uh, not terribly popular at the time it was passed, and it's, it's uh, polling is improving, and Republicans are really banking on that uh, coming through as people, you know, start to see their, their paychecks get better with uh, the withholding changes. Uh, Walker's also... Um, proposing and likely to get uh, a one-time tax cut that would see uh, checks mailed to people this summer, just, just before the primary, um, uh, where, they, where they get $100 for every child under 18 that they have. Uh, so the Democrats are going to come at that saying that that is a, um, uh, that that's a, a gimmick and that they're trying to Focus on issues that they see as having broad appeal, like figuring out how to fund roads in Wisconsin. There's been this internal Republican fight that has prevented additional money going into roads. Um, that's an issue I think you'll hear a lot from the Dems on. Uh, broadband in rural areas, Walker's been trying to crank up money for that, but Democrats say that it's not enough. Um, and I think, you know, also issues that have been nationalized, like there, after the Parkland shooting, we're hearing more and more from Dems about wanting to have gun restrictions and talking about the loosening of gun restrictions that Walker has uh, signed in the past. Um, you know, so I think, and a lot of it is just going to be Trump. I mean, Republicans or Democrats are really going to try to seize on the opposition of Trump and use that as a campaign issue. Are people going to see eight, nine, 10 names on this Democratic primary ballot? Or, or do you think that this might get pared down a little before the primary actually happens? So our primary is in uh, August. And I mean, from everything I see right now, I don't see any sign of anybody getting out of the way. Now, you know, that, that could change if, um, you know, somebody does some tremendous fundraising or if, you know, some kind of, scandal is exposed about a candidate or they have a skeleton in their club that, that hasn't been reported. Um, you know, maybe one or two drop out, but I'm not seeing, there just doesn't seem to be a force out there that is going to get uh, large numbers down. And, and that's a real problem for the Democrats in that who, who are, if, if the field is that large, 
whoever wins is going to likely have no money the day after the primary. And, you know, things have not gotten bitter in the Democratic race uh, at this stage, but they well could if you have that big a field of people attacking each other. So, you know, the party might be a little disunited at, at that stage. And Walker is going to have a lot of money and his allies uh, that spend independently, which has been all in for him in the past, they're going to be able to drop a lot of money in this race immediately after that primary. That's going to be an extreme challenge for Democrats to have to overcome um, in, in that time between August and November. Because if you've got a candidate with little name ID who comes out of the primary in August and then the governor and his allies can define that person over the next two or three weeks with TV ads, it's going to be really hard for that person to then define him or herself. And especially if they're only coming out with 25 or 30 percent of their own primary vote. Exactly. Exactly. Where can we find you on Twitter, online? Where can we find your work? Where can we find follow you as this race moves forward? Sure, our website is uh, jsonline.com. It's the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel, and you can find me on Twitter at Patrick D. Marley. All right, thank you so much for coming on today. All right, thanks, Rick. Thanks for listening, everyone. We're officially on iTunes, so subscribe and listen there at hashtag Vote2018, or you can follow the SoundCloud channel, hashtag Vote2018. And remember to head over to FirstAmendmentMedia.com to check out episodes from Deep Reporting with Rex Carlin and sign up for the Morning Rex newsletter. Deep Reporting with Rex Carlin is now also on iTunes, so subscribe, share, and rate over there as well. Follow us on Twitter on the handles at First Amend Media, that's at 1-S-T-A-M-E-N-D Media, and at Rex Carlin, that's at R-E-X-C-A-R-L-I-N on Twitter for all the latest information. I'm Rex Carlin, and you've been listening to the Vote 2018 Podcast.